Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah everybody and welcome home. For the past few years we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home. A place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Quran, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha sama That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots Community Space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org slash home. Welcome home everybody. I'm uh, sorry for the delay. Uh, Costco was packed. So <laughs> that's not a joke. Uh, it was very crowded, mashallah. So um, welcome back. Alhamdulillah. I'm, uh, you know, I, I I know we took a break last week for the holiday weekend. Um, I was able to go, alhamdulillah. My, my kids hadn't seen my parents since March 2020. So we were able to you know, go see my mom and dad and uh, my sisters and their kids and stuff like that. So it was uh, just really important that we took that time. And also, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a holiday, so take your full day off, inshallah, and enjoy it. But we'll be back, inshallah, now for this week. Uh, and then next week, I'll be back as well. And then the following week, uh, I have a little bit of travel that I'm doing, but we will, inshallah, have uh, a special guest uh, leading the session, inshallah. Um, so we won't, uh, things won't stop. Uh, things will keep going. Uh, just a couple uh, of housekeeping announcements. As you guys can see, mashallah, things are getting done around the campus. We had our seminary graduation this weekend. This whole, this isn't the roots of like new design. <laughs> like sequin robes around the pillars and like, next time. Uh, this is, we had our graduation from the seminary, which is upstairs, uh, where we have the full-time Islamic studies program. Uh, many of the, the attendees here I know are like our students or inshallah will be students. Um, and so just, you know, that's why that's there, alhamdulillah. And I think you probably have seen like the paint with the caution tape indicating not to walk through it that you might have walked through. Uh, so please don't do that, inshallah. Um, you know, try your best to, to, I know that it's a construction zone and there's just things are constantly shifting. Just try your best, inshallah, to, to um, you know, uh, do your best to sort of be observant of what maybe 
flows of traffic change and whatnot. Um, as far as the root space back there, it should be done, inshallah, by the end of June. Uh, and we're looking at having a grand opening, inshallah, in July. So you'll have more uh, details on that. Um, the, the floor is going to be done by this week. Um, the different decorations and the, I can't, I don't want to give up too much, but it's all going to be done, inshallah. And then we have the coffee shop build out, which is the last part. So once we get everything done, the coffee shop crew comes in, they construct, it takes 10 days for them to build out the, the bar and everything. And, um, you know, we should be good to go, inshallah. So we only have a few more times sitting in this, uh, on this, you know, nondescript green carpet uh, before we move over into the other space, inshallah. Okay. Uh, and lastly, I know, mashallah, people, uh, it's the Ramadan spirit, people bring, uh, or, or we let DM us or contact us to get, so just, uh, uh, you know, just to touch base on that. I don't want to say get approval, but we want to make sure that we know the ingredients and stuff, because if somebody's allergic to something in that, we don't want to serve it without them knowing um, and have some sort of a problem, okay? So thank you so much for your generosity. Just let's communicate on it, inshallah, and that way people can enjoy it, uh, knowing what's what's going on. Okay, so we are uh, continuing with our discussion of Surah Al-Kahf. Surah Al-Kahf is the 18th chapter of the Quran. It's a chapter in which we are guided by the Prophet to read uh, frequently, at least once uh, a week, trying to engage with the topics uh, therein. Uh, so Tathqahath has, like I said, four major themes, four major categories of lessons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has included uh, in the, in the uh, passage itself or in the chapter itself. Uh, we are in the first of those four, which talks about the people that inhabited the cave after which the surah is named, Ashab al-Kahf. So these people, uh, we kind of went over it a couple weeks ago, but I'll do a brief recap. There was a, uh, a, a, an ancient civilization or an ancient society in which there were uh, many, uh, you know, many beliefs and practices that went against ultimately what we would now know as Islam, right? So Islam has always been practiced to some degree uh, in its theological form exactly, uh, meaning belief in Allah, belief in the prophets, belief in the day of judgment, things like that. So there was a society or a civilization where many of the people in that society and civilization, almost all of them, uh, had fallen away from the belief of monotheism, of believing in Allah and believing in the things that, uh, you know, kind of are attached to that belief in God. Um, there were a few, however, young people that they had this, their, their, their candle, so to speak, their flame of belief had not been extinguished. They had this belief in Allah and they uh, did their best to try to navigate and avoid any of the different things in society uh, that sort of contradicted their belief in Allah. And there was a festival that would take place or a uh, you know, ceremony of idolatry and worshiping of idols uh, that they did their best to avoid. And we talked about this last week, we talked, or last time, we talked about how the story sort of developed. How did it develop? Who remembers? The story of these young men and the, the ceremony, yeah. I think one of the guys started, uh, she went away from this. Yes. Like, yeah, very good. So very, very good, mashallah, yeah, you remember. So the story goes that the ceremony or the festival was taking place, and it's, it's, it's something that everybody goes to. It's, a, it's sort of a, a national holiday, so to speak, and everybody's there. And this one guy, one of this, these, these young men that has this, 
firm belief in Allah and not wanting to really do anything that goes against that, he decides that he wants to just kind of stay far away. He wants to separate himself uh, from this practice. And so he goes and he sits by himself and he separates from what's going on in the, in the town. Uh, later, another person sees him and that person also shares this belief in Allah and wanting to stay away from the things that are against that. And he goes and sits by that person and they can't really proclaim this because again, it's, it's a very serious social violation, right? This is like the, the state religion, right? Like idolatry at this point is what everyone's doing. It's what the king is doing. It's what the palace, everyone's doing this. So you can't just get up and say, I don't believe in this. It doesn't make sense because this is the religion of the state. So they're just trying to sort of quietly remove themselves from the environment because even though they can't get up and proclaim necessarily what they believe, they also don't want to, uh, you know, be a part of it. So they got to figure out how they can preserve their faith. So one by one they go and there's a group of these young men finally that all realize that they are all part of the same sort of belief, that they all understand Allah in the same way and they believe that this idolatry or this practice of the society is not correct. So that's, I believe we ended off there. So this is a big starting point and a big lesson, right? Right off the bat. This isn't necessarily mentioned here, but it's mentioned in the tafsir, the story of how they sort of trickled away from society. And the lesson that we took for a couple weeks ago was that it took that first person, it took that first individual to demonstrate the courage to want to be able to step away from what he, right, or in our case, he or she, knew was not good for them. Because the reality is, ultimately, the environment that we are in, it affects us, whether or not we want to admit it. You might have a belief or a certain, you know, strength of belief internally, and that actually might be there. I don't, I don't discount that whatsoever. But everybody, every single person, no matter how strong their belief is, or no matter how shaky it might be, is impacted negatively and also positively, and also positively by the uh, uh, environment that they put themselves in. And so these young men, they saw that this is an opportunity for them to go and save themselves. And so this is something that we also have to learn from. There will be times, whether it's at work or whether it's in social gatherings, where you are going to have the alarm in your chest going off. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Where you are in a position, you're in a place, you're with people, or you're with, you know, in a, in a gathering, and in your chest, your heart is, there's like a siren that's blaring at you internally. Like, you need to get out of here. This is not where you belong. This is not where you should be. And it's our duty at that moment to try to listen to that siren. Because what happens is, if we don't listen at that moment, <laughs> the siren's volume decreases as a consequence of us ignoring it. And eventually, over time, if we ignore the siren enough, it becomes almost like background noise. Whenever it goes off, it's just like the ticking of a clock in a room. When you first are in a room where the clock is ticking, you can hear it constantly. Then eventually you get used to it, and it doesn't bother you so much. So if I continue to put myself in a situation or an environment where I know that this is not what Allah SWT is happy with, the absence of my alarm is not a sign that everything's okay. Quite the opposite. It's a sign that things are seriously wrong, right? This is one of the ways in which the nefs kind of adapts and copes with the way that we choose to live. And if we put ourselves in an environment that is good, right, then we become even more sensitive and even more aware and even more observant 
right, about the things that we know are not uh, uh, healthy for our hearts. There are sometimes you'll be with people, subhanAllah, Allah has given them like this foresight, this ability to see that this is not a good situation, right? Or these people are not good for you. Have you guys ever had a friend that advised you maybe to like kind of distance yourself from other people or other situations and you couldn't see it? You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys, your parents ever told you something like don't hang out with these people? Okay. Maybe you were that person. No one's nodding, right? <laughs> You're like, Why do people keep leaving me? Uh, true story, that was me. Anyways, but it, it's one of those things. If, if, if your friend tells you, you know what? Ever since you've been working here, like your, your, your personality has been changing. Or ever since you've been in this, this program, or ever since you've been doing this, like things of you have been changing. It's, don't chalk that up to just like jealousy or like this person's envious or whatever. No, this person may actually have some sort of foresight to be able to see what you can't see and is advising you accordingly. Okay, so they were able to pull themselves away. Now, in order to, to protect themselves, because they were sort of being found out, obviously they're the only group of people that's not partaking in the ceremony, they went and they sought refuge uh, in a cave. And this is where the, the, the story or the name of the, the, the surah comes from. They went and they sought refuge in a cave. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the surah, uh, if you go to Quran.com slash 18, uh, that's the surah, you can scroll down to ayah number 9, verse number 9. That's where we're going to start, inshallah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He introduces now this narrative to the Prophet He says, He says, Do you think that the people of the cave and the inscription, Rakim, means like a, a tablet that has writ writing on it, I'll explain in a second, were one of our wondrous signs? Do you think, O Prophet, He's speaking to the Prophet that the people of the cave, Ashabul Kaf, and that tablet that had their names written in it were from what? Ayatina ajaba. They were from our amazing, wondrous signs. This verse is an introduction to the Prophet It's an invitation for him to do what? To look back at the history of different people. The Prophet Allah is, is, is encouraging the Prophet to learn more about those who came before him. Okay? How many of you enjoyed history in school? Why did you enjoy it? Yeah. Yeah. Why did I enjoy it? Why did you like history? I just like looking in the past and gain more knowledge about what happened before and I help decisions that go in the future. Yes, very good. I like looking in the past, gain more knowledge about what happened before so I can have more informed decisions in the future. Okay, anyone else? Yeah. History tends to repeat itself. Sounds like a tweet. Okay. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Okay. Why does history repeat itself? People like making the same mistakes, or, that could be true, or, why does history repeat itself? Huh? Because they don't learn it, right? History repeats itself. The conclusion of that statement is because why? Because they don't know history. So it repeats itself because if they knew history, they wouldn't do what people did in the past, okay? This principle of learning history so that you don't repeat the same mistakes is actually a spiritual principle. The Quran is filled with stories about people from the past. It's filled with them. You, you, you learn about the good stories, and you learn about the ones that aren't so good. And the reason why Allah subhanahu wa is engaging the Prophet sallallahu and is, in, and, and, and is you know, encouraging the Prophet sallallahu to think and to learn and to know and to reflect about these people who came before, and he's even calling these people a sign of God. 
ayatina ajara. They're an incredible sign is because in the verses of the Qur'an, the ayat, we learn about Allah, but also in the signs that Allah spreads throughout the earth, we also learn about Allah. Allah calls the, the creation of the mountains and the trees and the sun and the sky and the, everything. He says these are from our signs, right? But the word for, for sign in Arabic is an ayah. Ayah means a sign. They're all indications that point back to what? To the fact that Allah is the one. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that our life somehow revolves around Allah. Whether or not we realize it as a Muslim or whether a person is searching, their life is directed back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So history plays a very important role. Now, it's difficult. People don't enjoy right, history and people tend to judge. Historically, we look back and we judge the decisions that people make, yes or no. We look at what they did and we're like, oh my gosh, right? And there tends to come with this observation of history a little bit of, a, of entitlement, a little bit of judgment. Why? Because we tend to believe, and this is, I'm, I'm framing this as a, you know, not you, but we as people, tend to believe that the newer something is, the more modern, the more contemporary, the more futuristic, we tend to believe that it is inherently better, smarter, more efficient, and ultimately, it is the right way. Yes or no? Right? So when people look back at the heritage of their parents, the culture of their parents, right? Whether it be overseas, local, wherever. And their parents tend to have traditional ways of doing things. And they're kind of old school. As you're growing up, you look at those ways and you're like, these are so backwards. And some of them are, right? Some of them truly are backwards. But as you get older, sometimes those very same things that you thought were so old school, so outdated and pointless and dumb, you realize that that is in fact, without a doubt, the best way to do exactly what your parents were saying to do. Yes or no? Anyone ever had a moment? Can you share? Can you open up and be humble? Yeah. Eating carrots. Eating carrots, okay. You're like, why don't we just drink Soyland? Like, we don't need carrots. Silicon Valley, they change nutrition. This is it. Right? I don't need, the, and then you're like, never mind, right? I need carrots. I need them because, and not just in the form of Godric like I need them as a vegetable, not a dessert. There's a dessert that Pakistanis and Desis make where they just cook carrots down with sugar. And it's like, I eat vegetables. No, not that. That's not a vegetable anymore, right? If there's more sugar than vegetables, no longer vegetable, right? So, maybe, let's go back. Maybe parents might encourage you to eat something, and you're like, no, 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 like it's game season. You know, 240 grams of protein, cutting this and this and this. And then, you're, and then you actually talk to a nutritionist, you talk to someone who's trained, you talk to someone who understands the body, and they're like, no, no, you actually do need these other things that your parents have been telling you to eat. Like, you need your dal chow, like, you need it, right? You need your lentils, you need your rice. And you're like, no, no, that's not what... You know, they told me, and you're like, it is what it is. Like, I'm sorry, this is the way the body works, right? So there's a lot of that with regards to food. Some of it in regards to, like, saving money. Man, subhanAllah, I give, I'm 34 now, I, I give, <laughs> I'm just like an old guy with all these teenage kids that I meet. So Safi teaches the youth program here, and I meet all these teenage kids. And they all get jobs, mashallah, and they don't have any bills, of course, right? <laughs> Like, oh, I just made, I have to go to work, ugh. And I'm like, oh, and spend it on yourself? How horrible. Like, you don't have to pay electricity bills? Like, what's that? I'm like, you don't even know. Like, the electricity, like my dad's Tesla? Yes, yeah, like your dad's Tesla. You have to pay the charge now. Okay? 
and I give advice to these kids, and, and, and I don't like call them over like, hey kids, come here, right? But when they, when they ask, and they're like, you know, what should I do with, what should I do with like, you know, my money, this, and I always tell them, so look, don't spend everything then. Don't just like go and eat. Your mom is right, like just eat at home, <laughs> you know? You don't wanna go spend $15 on a sandwich to impress people that you're not even gonna like in two years. Like just eat your mom's food and meet up afterwards, okay? Bring the, bring the, the Tupperware. It's embarrassing, I know, but you're gonna be rich. Don't worry, right? And I tell them that your money is better spent on things like a car. Like you could actually get a car. You don't have to borrow your parents' car anymore. Like you could actually afford a car payment. You know how much a car payment is? They're like, how much? I'm like, you can get one. Well, you can't get one, a car anymore. But back in the day, you used to be able to get one for a few hundred dollars, a couple hundred dollars. You can get your, your own car. They're like, no way. I'm like, yeah. So a little bit of financial literacy. And these are the things that I had to learn myself because as my mom stands there and tells me, I cooked. Why are you going to eat with your friends? And I'm like, Taco Bell's the best, you know? That tension, I actually never said that, by the way. Because <laughs> it's not, and I don't lie. That tension of having to negotiate between what my parents, what the, the, the tradition was telling me about saving, being responsible, right? What's another one? Go to sleep on time. Like, no, right? People wear the ability to stay up late like a badge, like it's some sort of like, like a purple heart. In the military, like, I can stay up late. And then you realize lack of sleep, it messes with your body in a serious way. Your body needs its circadian rhythm, right? In order, Allah Ta'ala even said, He made the, the night a cover so that people can rest and recover. And He made the day a time for people to get up and work. So being able to stay up all night and crush through these you know, Stranger Things series season four, <laughs> And being like, yeah, I can go to work tomorrow. Well, you might be able to do that, but your body's not going to thank you the next day. And you may have actually, over time, right, lack of sleep, perpetual sleep deprivation is something that can seriously harm people's mental health. And we thought that we just could force ourselves to do it. And all, that, all those days that Dadi or Teta or whatever told us, just sleep, right? Those little, like, traditional adages, we look at them almost like they're cute. Oh, that's so cute. Look at you, born in 1930, telling me to sleep, right? We have melatonin, don't you know? Like, I can sleep when I want. Sometimes, as they say, old is gold. And, and, and the older you get, the more you realize, subhanAllah, some things are just classically true. They don't change. Like, they are just essentially facts, okay? And no matter what generation, what time, who I am, who I'm not, whatever, that thing will remain true despite any situation you place that information in, it remains true. This is what Allah SWT is teaching us. Look back. Look back. And don't look back at history with the eye of judgment, the eye of arrogance, the eye of, oh, they didn't know, you know? Look at history and try to extract the wisdom and the wisdoms of those people who were sage individuals from our history, from our past. And realize something. With advancement, comes benefit. With technological advancement comes benefit, okay? How many of you have a phone? Okay. How many of you can remember your life before you got a phone? Like when you were a kid, okay? Do you guys remember the phone numbers that you needed to know as a kid before you got a phone? Okay, do you remember anyone's number now? No, it's actually pretty embarrassing. Sometimes there's even people, does anyone here like not know a sibling's phone number? You just have them stored? Yeah, a lot of people, right? 
I'm not going to ask the parents one because that's just too embarrassing. All right, let's bring it in. And everyone's like, wow, I don't even know my own phone number. I just airdrop my contact everybody. The reality is that technological advancement helped. It helped. Connectedness is awesome. You know, FaceTime is great. It connects grandparents and grandchildren. It connects husbands and wives. Everybody can talk now, right? But what did we lose? Remember this. Every time we gain something, we lose something. Because we are finite. We're not infinite. We just don't have endless amounts of space. So what did we gain? We gained some technological advancement. We gained the ability to communicate. We gained the ability to share information at faster than the, you know, I don't know, speed of whatever. We can learn things so quickly. Within seconds of them happening, there can be a picture on our timeline showing us exactly what's happening. But you know what we lost? We lost the ability to focus. We lost the ability to memorize. We lost the ability to memorize to the point where we read stories sometimes in the tradition of people's memory and we think that the tradition is lying. We're like, no way. You remember Chef, he used to look at a page and he used to have to cover the other half of the page so he wouldn't accidentally memorize it? That's a lie. No, that's true. You know what? You want to know why that's true? Because in my lifetime, I've met somebody like that. That he read a page once and can memorize it after reading it once. Okay? Why? Because he grew up in the desert. And he didn't have, he wasn't inundated with the distractions that we are inundated with as children. Screen time, iPads, TVs, all kinds of stuff, right? Some of us grew up at a time where, they, you know, there's this, there's this phrase that they're using now called like deep thought. There are children in schools that have never had to look out the window and just stare, right? You know, like when you're, when you're a kid, you're just staring at the window and you're just, you don't even know what you're thinking about. That is actually some of the most creatively beneficial time a young person can have. Because it's almost like they're discovering and exploring their own creativity, their own mind. Remember when you were a kid, you looked at the cloud and you saw things, right? Now, kids don't even know. I, I spoke with a child who didn't know that beef came from cows. I referenced that I, when we were talking about burgers, he's like, do you like chicken or beef? I was like, well, I tend to like cow more than chicken. He's like, no, I didn't ask you that. And I was like, what? The disconnect is so real. The ability to deep think has been limited by what? By advancements. We're losing things that we once had because we're so advanced. So Allah is reminding us, look back at the history of people because there are lessons that lie within those stories that you might not have access to anymore. And you need these lessons. They are universally, effectively true. Okay? Just because something's old does not mean it loses value. New things might offer some comfort or change, but they cannot answer every question. They cannot always answer every question. So he introduces this to the Prophet Then he gives the story of these young men. When those young people went and they took refuge in the cave, And they said in a dua, O our Lord, O our Lord, grant us from your mercy, grant us from the mercy that you possess, and guide us through our situation, through this ordeal. Give us guidance as we handle this moment. Remember, they're on the run. They're like fugitives in their own community. So they're asking Allah, Oh Allah, have mercy on us and help us. Guide us through this moment that we are struggling with. Interesting point. When Allah Ta'ala mentions a description of these people, what is the description centered around? What part of them is it talking about? 
young people, very good, their age. Allah could have mentioned other things. He could have mentioned what gender they were. He could have mentioned what ethnicity they were. He could have mentioned their spiritual devotion level. There's a ton of adjectives, descriptions that Allah Ta'ala could have used, but He used their age. Why did Allah tell us that they were young? What guidance is there in that for us? What do you think of in the Quran when you read a story about young people taking refuge for the sake of protecting their faith? What does that show you? Yeah. Mm. Very interesting, mashallah. Very good, right? Young, being young, youth is oftentimes not associated with religiosity. If someone is committed, and I don't want to use religiosity because if someone is devoted to Allah at a young age, it's almost seen as like a strange thing, right? Like, are you a nun? Like, why are you so religious? Like, why are you acting like this? You're young, right? I remember I was once talking to uh, a grandmother and she was advising her grandchildren, who were of marriageable age, to go and have fun. And then when you get old, you can get married. That's just kind of the way that society wants to, right? It wants to sort of mold people. That youth is about exploration and having a good time. And then there's something called hajj that you can do. And then you start fresh at 50, right? We laugh because of how absurd the, my presentation of it was, but some of us may have very much even thought this, even until right now, that yes, like I thought Hajj was something I do when I'm older, because then I'll be able to reset, hit the reset button, I will have lived and enjoyed everything I wanted to enjoy, and then from there, halas, like, uh, it's, it's almost like, it's like, it's like getting out of debt, right? Like late, like, okay, I can just live what I want, charge it up, charge it up on the card, and then do Hajj, and then I'm good, right? Jannah, one-way ticket. But the reality is that there are experiences and there are moments of dedication to Allah as a young person that if you don't experience them as a young person, you don't know what you're missing when you turn, when you get old. Think about it. The later you start your journey on anything, the less time you have to benefit from what that thing is giving you. If a person decides to start changing their life earlier, they have more It's actually, and I know there's some news about Hajj today, but when you go to Hajj, it's actually really, really interesting because elderly people to the point where they were just being dropped off at the airport by their children. I remember this. I remember being at JFK Airport, and I remember collecting elderly people from their children who were dropping them off. And they're like, yeah, have fun on me, all right, go do, have, make dua for me, please, right? And then they like drove away to go enjoy like Times Square in Manhattan while their mom is sitting in the Arafah like begging for Allah to help her son or help her daughter, right? And then over time, something really interesting happened. As 
the years went by, that age started to shift lower and lower. And what we noticed was that there were people who were like 30, 40, and then 30, and then eventually in their 20s. Until the last year that we did Hajj as a group at Haram was 2019. And we met, I think we had five or six people that they did Hajj with us, and they had just graduated college. It was literally the first thing they were doing after graduating. They were going to Hajj. Like, butcher man, like 20 years old. I'm like, you don't have any sins. What are you doing? Like, you know what I mean? Just kidding, I went to college. So, <laughs> in America. So I, I was like, you know, it's good. Yeah, clean it up, right? Clean it up. But the interesting thing was, what perspective on life do you think that now 23-year-old has? How do you think they see the world? They see the world so differently, and their choices are reflective of that. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions one characteristic, that is special about these people. He mentions their age. He tells us here, kind of in between the lines, that the earlier you decide to turn to me, the more I will help you in everything that you need. The earlier that you come to Allah, the more that Allah will be there in those times. And just because you're young doesn't mean life's not tough. There are moments where you desperately need Allah. I mean, really, every moment you need Allah. But there are moments when you come to realize that you need Allah. And as a young person, turning to Allah sometimes feels embarrassing because it's almost like a stranger. We do what we want for however long we want to, and then something tragic happens, and it's like, oh, I have to go and call that person that I only call when things are bad. Right? But if a person already has an existing relationship with Allah because they've already committed to Him, then when they turn back to Allah, it's like turning to an old friend that they speak to on the daily. Like every single day we're talking. Do you have any embarrassment? Do you have any hesitation or any doubt that your friend that you talk to every day will be able to help you? No, of course not. You talk to them every day. If you need a ride, if you need to borrow some money, if you need someone to take you to, the, to pick you up, you have a flat tire, or come visit you at the hospital, whatever. If you need something, the person you speak to every day, that's the one you're going to depend on. But the one you haven't talked to since last year, the one you haven't called since last time on, like you, the anxiety of waiting for them to pick up the phone, and then having to stumble your way through the request. Many of us wonder why the du'as we make are not fluid, they're not smooth. Because our hands are dusty. Like we haven't dusted these off for so long. We only ask Allah when we need something. Right? There's something really powerful about being a young person and being close to Allah. Or wanting to be close to Allah. So these young people went. And in their du'a they called out to Allah. Oh Allah, grant us your mercy. Why are they asking for mercy? Don't they need protection? Aren't they going to be persecuted? Isn't that their whole fear? Why are they hiding? How is mercy the solution to being persecuted? What are they asking for? When you guys read this, what do you think? If you need something from Allah, don't you kind of ask more specifically? If you need a job, are you like, oh Allah, give me mercy? No, you ask for the job, right? Oh Allah, give me this job, it's good for me, right? If you want to get married, are you like, oh Allah, grant me rahmah? Allah, turn into rahmah. Right? Right? Brothers, watch yourself, okay? No, you don't. You're like, oh, Allah, I want to get married, you know this, right? So why are they asking for mercy? Because you don't know, like, what way Allah can help you through that mercy. Wow, very good. MashaAllah. MashaAllah. Th these guys are teaching us a dua masterclass. Like, they're just, like, pros at it. You know, right, when you open your hands to Allah, 
that everything he gives you is a form of his mercy. Every single thing. And sometimes, the human being, in our confidence, we seek from Allah, confident that we know exactly what it is that we need. I need this. Oh, Allah, give me this. Right? The joke about, you know, make, making dua to get married, and then you tell the person, ask Allah to give you what's best. And then the person's already in love, so they're like, can I ask Allah to make them who's best for me? Like, you know? Why is, why is that... Why is that problematic? Well, because there's sort of an assertion there that, oh, Allah, like, I know that you technically are the one who knows everything, but I really like this person, right? And I know that we'll be perfect for each other. And Allah might know that you might not be perfect for each other, but you're so insistent on it, right? Oh, Allah, give me that. And you don't tie up that dua with, if they're good for me, right? If they're good for me, or if the job is good for me, if this house is good for me. If you guys ever made that dua, you kind of paused at that moment. You're making a sahari, you're like, oh Allah, give me this house if it's good for me, right? Because <laughs> you, you want it to be good for you. Like, you don't. You think you know, right? The more that you trust Allah, the easier it is for you to utter those words. Because if I trust Allah more than myself, I'm like, oh Allah, I don't even want to. Listen to this, dua. Oh Allah, la takini ila nafsi. Do not make me in charge of myself. Even the blink of an eye. This is the dua Muhammad used to make. Don't let me be in charge of myself for the blink of an eye. Why? Because, oh Allah, you are better at managing everything in my life than I am. Right? If you were to make me in charge of something, oh Allah, I'm going to fail because I oversleep, I overeat, I'm lazy, I have these desires, I'm, I'm petty. Right? But, oh Allah, if you're in charge of my life, I'm good. I don't have to worry about anything. That level of trust, it manifests in these beautiful du'as. So what are they saying? Oh Allah, grant me your mercy. Allah, I need your mercy. Every single person is in more need of Allah's mercy than that person is in need of what? Air. There's a verse in the Quran where Allah SWT mentions the story of the image of a person who's drowning. And they call out to Allah and they say, oh Allah, save me. Save me, oh Allah. If you save me, I'll become better. Like, I'll become the Muslim that I know I can be. Right? I don't know how they can utter this while they're drowning. But anyways, they're drowning. They're drowning. Like, it's not, it's not, that, it's not that, you know, like, long-winded. I made it. I was making fun of myself. Like, I, I made it long-winded. Like, oh, well, save me and I'll change. Right? Right? So they're drowning. Or, like, you're in turbulence. Right? And you're like, oh, Allah. Not this way. You know? Like, I know I have to die, but please... They don't even have phones on this plane anymore. Like, I can't even do that thing where I charge a credit card and call somebody. This is it. Like, please don't, Ya Allah. I'll change. I promise I'll be better. And then the person, Allah Ta'ala says that they what? Allah saves them. Their feet hit dry land. They're no longer drowning. And they go about their way. And they forget about the promise they made. They forget about the promise they made. You want to know what's crazy? In the tafsir of this ayah, it gets me every time. One of the great scholars of tafsir, he said something really deep. He said, you know what's crazy? If I were to ask you, when was this person more in need of Allah, you would have said when they were drowning. Right? Because they're drowning, they're about to die. He said, this person was more in need of Allah when they were safe on land than when they were drowning. Because when they were drowning, they had what? They had ma'rifah. Everything clicked. Right? When the plane drops and the wings are shaking, 
right? And everyone's jaw, oh my God, right? And everyone, they're like, sit down, buckle your seatbelts. As much as you're afraid in that moment, you have like 100% clarity of Allah. As much as humanly possible. Because you're like, I get this now. This is real. If I didn't believe in Allah in an afterlife, if I didn't, I wouldn't call out to him in this moment. You're like, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, right? I know that if I heard somewhere the other man that, you know, giant white dude said, if I say this the last thing before I die, I would have done that. Right? La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah. And so you're uttering as much as you can because you believe in it, right? But then when the plane lands and you're like safe, it's like you almost forgot about that turn that existed. You get off, you go to your place, you check in your hotel, your phone says it's time to pray, and you're like, oh, I'll pray later. What are you talking about, I'll pray later? You just engaged in like the most sincere dua you've ever made an hour ago when your plane was shaking, and now that you're laying comfortably on a bed, you're like, I don't need it anymore. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is teaching us that we need to seek out the mercy of Allah. The mercy of Allah is like the facilitation for whatever it is that you need. This is why when you make dua for somebody to have Allah's mercy, you're not actually making dua for them to be forgiven. You're asking for Allah's mercy to descend upon that person so that everything in their life just goes as smoothly as possible. And that Allah gives them the ability to deal with and to handle whatever it is that is thrown their way. Oh Allah, and grant us Grant us success and guidance in all of our affairs. When a person commits a sin, what happens? When a person does something wrong, what happens? They accrue a sin. And what does that sin do? What does the sin do to the, to the existence of a human being? It weighs them down. It weighs them down. Okay, what else? God's fault on their heart. It create, the hadith says it puts a, a blemish on their heart, a dark spot on their heart. Okay, what else? Yeah. It becomes easier to sin. Like sins open up. There you say. What did you say? It can mentally destroy a person. Yeah, eventually, right? It can it can chip away at a person's even their own spiritual state, their mental state. When a person sins, you know what happens? As Amin mentioned here, mashallah. Hello, student, mashallah, sonny. It's kind of cheating. When a person sins, the Prophet says, "What the doing the right thing becomes more difficult." Doing the wrong thing becomes easier. Right? When a person sins, doing more of the sin becomes easier because now you've like broken through. And staying firm on the right thing becomes harder because now a person has experienced, right, what that sin does. So, why do we need mercy? Because mercy is the thing that clears away all of the effects of sin. And so to speak, mercy is like the windshield wipers that clean off so you can see clearly. When I can't see clearly because I'm so blemished by the mistakes that I make, I don't know which way to go. I can't make the right decision. So their dua is twofold. Oh Allah, grant us mercy, and from that mercy, let us make the right choices in everything that we do. Some of us, it doesn't seem, you know, it, it seems to be the case that there are moments in our life where we hit, like, bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, yes or no? You're like, man, I just can't get a win. You know, I can't. I keep making choices and it seems like I just keep choosing the wrong path. You know, like I'm fighting with my parents. I got drama with my friends. I got this happening. My job is not good. All of these things are just bad, bad, bad. Like taking L after L after L. Okay? 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is telling us that you need the mercy of Allah ta'ala to clear up the blemishes that are causing you to make these mistakes. Because good decisions and good choices put you on the path to success in all the decisions that you make. Okay? So interesting. So in that moment, when they asked Allah for mercy, what are they asking for? They're asking for Allah to save them from the persecution of the city. They're afraid they're going to die. So they're like, oh Allah, don't let us get killed. These people are going to come kill us. They're going to find us in the cave, and they're going to kill us because we're running away from our, the religion, the tradition of the state. So Allah says, you want to know how he answered their du'a? You ready? So we covered their ears, right? We caused their ears to be covered, and that caused them to fall into a deep sleep in the cave for many years. They fell asleep in the cave for many years. Allah Ta'ala caused them to sleep. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, when I'm in a bad situation, I just take a nap too. Like, I'm like a sahabah, right? Okay? It's interesting. There's two points that I found very, very interesting about this verse. Number one is that there are so many instances of the Quran where righteous people, like prophets or just righteous people in the Quran, will make du'a for something, and what you think is going to happen doesn't happen. Like, the person is begging Allah for something, and you're like, okay, the obvious solution here would be what? The obvious solution here would be like money, armor, weapons, like whatever. You know, they're, they're about to engage in battle. The Prophet was begging Allah Ta'ala for help during Mecca when they were persecuting him. They were torturing him, harassing him, killing anyone who was Muslim. He's begging Allah for help. What does Allah send? So do Yusuf. You're like, wait a minute. But that story contained the resilience and the strength that the Prophet needed to keep going. Meaning what? He already had the physical goods. He just needed the spiritual reinforcement. But you're like, that's not what I would have imagined. I wouldn't have imagined the answer to my dua being sleep. But Allah Ta'ala, He withdrew them and He caused them to stay away from this environment, from this fitna. And he, the method He used for that was sleep. You know what's interesting about this parallel? One of the scholars of Tafsir, he wrote on this, and he said, many times young people, when they see something they don't like, what do they do? When you see something you disagree with, what do you do? You what? Someone said it. You take action. You speak up. Can young people be quiet about what they believe? No. Right? We can't. It's just a reality. And I'm, I can say we because I'm still kind of young, but I'm transitioning. I'm tra I swear to God. I swear to God. In my 20s, if I saw something on the internet that I disagreed with, like, if you read my, my Twitter account from my 20s, it's like a diary of just my stupid moments. Someone's like, I like cheese pizza. I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, you need to have, you know, this. And yeah, just like, why? Why? Why engage in this? Because I was young, and young people are hard-headed. And young people think they know everything. Young people think my opinion is so important. If I don't say my truth, what I believe, how will the earth continue spinning? Right? I need to share this with my 17 followers. Otherwise, <laughs> what are they going to do? Right? Okay? But then as you get old, and this is where I'm, I'm sort of like hitting that point, alhamdulillah. You see something, I'll be scrolling and I see something that's like blatantly wrong. Okay? Like I see something that's like really wrong, even like religiously.
throw clothing. I don't have time for this, right? And, 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 and really, subhanAllah, that transition is an indication of maturity. Because not everything that you see that you have a thought on, that you have an opinion on, needs to be shared, right? Maybe your opinion is not even informing yet. Maybe you don't even know. It's okay. Someone's like, what do you think about this? It's okay for you to say, I don't. I don't know. Someone asked me, like, what do you think about this person? I said, I don't think about this person. <laughs> so that's not fair. You can't talk about it. I said, no, no, I genuinely don't. They said, what do you mean? I was like, let me go change my daughter's poopy diaper, and then we'll talk. Oh, wait, that's why I don't have time to think about this person. What do you think about what this politician said? I don't care. Right? I'm too busy trying to come to hard work on Monday and spend time with my community. Like, I don't really care what he or she or they said. Right? This is a sign, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is why. The Prophet said, from the perfection of a person's Islam, the perfection, like me, like the, be- the, be- the, the, the beautiful completion of his what? That they just, they give up and abandon things that have nothing to do with them. Right? It's a sign of a person's perfection of faith that they can look at something and say like, you know, I don't like that, I disagree with it, but I really don't care. Like, I, I, It's not really that important for me to talk about it. Right? But now is the era of oversharing, of you know, posting whatever comes across my mind, free association. We use Twitter like a journal, like a therapist. We say whatever we feel, right? And I'm telling you, Wallahi, like, Imam Zarnuji wrote about this. And he said, argumentation, he said it does three things. Number one, he says, is it distances you from knowledge. When you argue, you can never become smarter. Why? I mean, call them some areas too much. Yeah, because when you argue, you think you know everything. Like a person who wants to learn doesn't argue, do they? A person who wants to learn doesn't argue because the person who's arguing is like, I'm right, you're wrong. The person who wants to learn is like, okay, I'm interested in hearing what you have to say. So Imam Zarnuti says, number one, when you argue, you actually push yourself like a, like a, like you're repelling yourself away from what? From knowledge. Number two, he says you waste your time. You guys ever gotten into an argument with somebody over text message, and you look at your, your, your clock, or you look at the time, you're like, I just burned through three hours of talking about whether or not a hot dog was a sandwich or not. Like a deep philosophical question. And you're like, this, is, this was the biggest waste of my time. And then you're like, I don't have time to do things. No, you do. You just need to stop arguing. So he says, number one, you distance yourself from knowledge. Number two, he says that you actually start more than three things. It's like five things. He said that, you eventually waste your time. Number three, he says, وَحْشَى He says, you start to develop this, this, uh, uh, this loneliness, this solitude. No one wants to talk to you. No one wants to spend time with you. You're constantly engaging in debate and argumentation. And people are like, dude, just call us when you're done with this. We don't want to have anything to do with you. And sometimes people say, yes, you know what? This is, this is what happens to the people who speak the truth. They're lonely, right? It's okay. I'll be lonely as long as I'm right. <laughs> well, you know what? The Prophet was not lonely. He wasn't lonely. He was not. He had companions. He had friends. Even people who disagreed with him respected him. Think about this. The Prophet 
he never ever lost an argument because of how he spoke to people. They disagreed with him about what he said. Okay, Abu Jahl, they didn't like what he said, but they, we do not have a single narration, a single moment in history where they criticized the way he spoke. Isn't that amazing? We don't have a single person in the history of the Prophet's life where they said, you know what? I could, I could, I can see where he's coming from, but I just don't like the guy. No. People, in fact, quite the opposite. We have narrations where people say, I don't agree with him, but man, do I love him. But there's something about him. This is prophetic. So being alone is not a sign of being correct. Being alone is a sign that people don't like you. Okay? The next one, he says, is that you start to develop animosity towards everybody. You start to develop hatred towards people. Everyone you see, you're just like, they're wrong. This all comes from argumentation. And argumentation is one of the, 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 the big diseases of the heart for young people. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. Okay? So, why is it important now in the context of what we learned? Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala causes these people to withdraw from the fitna, and then He puts them to sleep. Sometimes the best thing you can do when there is, when there is like a big drama in your life, is just be quiet. Think about it. When Maryam salam did the impossible, when she gave birth to her son Isa without the agency of a husband or a man, what did Allah subhanahu wa tell her to do? Don't talk. You're going to go, and people are going to think the worst of you. They're going to say the worst about you. You're going to. See, people are going to be like, "What have you done?" You're from a pious family, and you had a child, and you're not married. I mean, this is, imagine. Imagine if this happened. Imagine if somebody in your community, your family, shows up with a kid, and you know they're not married. What do people start saying? How could you do this? Right? You come from a good family. That's what they said. They said, Yahoo to Harun. That literally translates as what? Sister of Aaron. But what they're saying is, you're from a good family. This doesn't happen to people like you. And Allah Ta'ala told her to do what? Just be quiet. And if they ask you, just point to the baby. Point to the baby. So she points to the baby. The baby speaks. When they ask, like, where did this baby come from? He says, I came from Allah. They're like, a talking baby? And then he gives this entire monologue. This is Isa. And he gives this beautiful monologue about how this is a miraculous birth, not just any other child. When she needed it most, she remained silent. She trusted Allah, and Allah delivered. These guys who are in the cave, they need Allah. Oh Allah, help us. Give us your mercy. Allah causes them to sleep. Why? Because sometimes in the moment of fitna, the best thing you can do is withdraw. Don't engage. Don't push back. Don't yell. Don't scream. Don't fight. Right? In the battle of the water versus the rock, the water always wins. The water will always win. But it takes three things. Number one, in order for you to succeed in this, you have to do the right thing. You cannot do the wrong thing and then dip. You can't punch somebody and be like, I'm out. I'm a pacifist now. Like, you can't do that. You have to make the right choice. 
Someone says something, you want to punch them, you say, no, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight you. You can't fight them and say, I don't want to fight. Right? You just say, no. Number two is that you have to trust that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that, that by withdrawing yourself from this fitna, you're doing the right thing. You can't, you can't be half in, half out. You have to trust the plan. And number three is you have to be patient. You have to have patience. In trusting Allah, we can't rush the miracle. The miracle will happen. It will be there. But we need to be patient, and we need to be observant so that we can witness it as Allah Ta'ala delivers it. Make the right choice, trust the plan, and be patient. And you'll see the things that you need most appear. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to give us tawfiq. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to allow us to benefit from these lessons of this beautiful chapter and to make us people that characterize or have the character of these uh, beautiful moments that these young people of the cave are teaching us. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to give us a love of Quran and to make the Quran a spring of our chest and the light of our eyes. We ask Allah Ta'ala to take away our anxieties and our depressions by the means of the Quran. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to give us relief and to give us hope through the Quran. Amin, amin, ya Rabbil Alameen.